Welcome to Entrepreneurial Journeys, a podcast from Ardian for anyone curious about where growth is happening around the world. Each week, we speak to the people behind innovative companies building the future. I'm your host, Portia Pro. abroad has never been easy. You need to get on an airplane, fly across the world, land in a country where another language is spoken, and then try to assimilate culturally, all while managing the academic stress of beginning university. But that's what thousands of young people have to do when studying abroad for their undergraduate degrees. That's why Study Group, a for-profit education provider, prepares international students for university degree programs in places like Australia, New Zealand, the UK, and Ireland. Students from China, India, and some 45 other countries are offered specialized training in English language skills, study skills, and other forms of cultural support. Study Group staff are there to help students with anything from difficult pre-engineering degree questions to advice on where to get a good pizza in the neighborhood. But since the COVID-19 pandemic, studying abroad has become an even more challenging experience, especially because so many students are unable to travel. Luckily, Study Group has been at the forefront of digitization and innovation since before the COVID crisis even arose, and Ardian has been there to help. In this episode of Entrepreneurial Journeys, I speak to Study Group CEO Emma Lancaster about the new world of online education and how she's successfully pivoting her company and leading international students to success in the face of an unprecedented crisis. So how does Study Group work? What do you do and what's your purpose? What we do is we recruit students from... 150 countries around the world. We bring them to their destination market of choice, either Anglophone, either UK, North America, Australia, New Zealand, um, Ireland, or the Netherlands. We teach them for a year, either a sort of foundation course or a diploma or their first year. And as part of that, what we're doing is um, helping them with their English language. We're helping them with their study skills, because many of them will have come from different academic backgrounds, and we help them with a sort of settling in period, if if you like. And we've been doing that for 25 years and have some work with some great university partner brands um, across the globe. What Study Group offers is much more than just academic or linguistic support. So assimilating and working out everything from how to use the local public transport system you know, how to navigate your way to the university, how to make friends, how to, you know, how to study what's expected in a study environment, which will be different from the educational backgrounds that many of them will have come from. So yes, a lot of it is that sort of cultural soft skill side, if you like, which is really making sure they're prepared that when they really arrive in university proper, you know, they're going to be successful. And the heart of everything we do is around student success. Roughly 120,000 students Study Group has worked with over the past decade come from some 150 countries around the world. But roughly 40% are from China and 10 to 15% are from India. How do you differentiate from your competitors? So um, we would suggest that, that actually it's what differentiates is our partner portfolio. 
Um, we have some many partners in the top 100. You know, we really focus on student success. We really focus on high quality. So um, we are looking for taking able students and really prepare them to be super successful um, at, you know, really prestigious universities. And that's what really sets us apart from our competitor set. Study Group works with more than 40 universities, including the Universities of Durham and Sheffield in the UK, Australia National University and the University of Sydney in Australia, and Baylor in the US. And through the recent acquisition of the online platform Incendi, Study Group is adding even more schools to its portfolio, including the University of Oxford. What do your clients, the universities, get out of the bargain? So what they get um, is very well-prepared international students. So um, international students generally will pay a much higher tariff um, than the domestic tariff. Um, and so therefore, they're more economically beneficial. But I think the other part is as we move, you know, we're all universities want to be global. And so having that international cohort that brings diversity of voice into the classroom, into the study makes a big difference to the learning experience for the whole university. But something happened last year that challenged this vision of bringing international cohorts together, COVID. Let's talk about COVID and how study group responded. I was actually um, at a dinner in Shanghai with a number of our agents and our team based in Shanghai. And somebody said, oh, have you heard about this flu in Wuhan? And I said, no, no, I haven't. You know, should I be worried? I just didn't realize how quickly it would move through. And I suppose in some ways we were, we saw it happen to our Chinese colleagues first. It moved through Singapore in terms of lockdown and how all that was working. Um, and in pretty short order, Australia shut its borders. So we had to move very quickly to put online provision for our students in Australia. And actually, there's a lot of scrambling to get a lot of our, our students home. Now, the good news is partly the way it landed is that a lot of our Chinese students were home because of Chinese New Year. So they hadn't yet travelled. So actually, we were moved, we moved very quickly online in Australia in a matter of a couple of weeks. We were then doing the same thing in Europe and, and North America as well. But not all the foreign students made it home for lockdown. We did have a chunk of students who were left in country and in lockdown in a student room on your own, it's really tough. You know, the teams have worked really hard in really trying to put in some quite innovative ways of bringing peer-to-peer -peer interaction and making sure that the students that were kind of left in country were, were kind of looked after and supported kind of through the various lockdowns. And that was just the beginning. Then, study group had to figure out how to carry on teaching students online in different time zones. Fortunately for us, um, we had just acquired Incendi, which is our kind of online learning platform. And that meant that we were very able to put some really good online learning in very quickly. And um, we'd already been working on it, but actually it meant that we could roll out um, some high quality product very, very quickly. And if you think about the challenges of operating online when you've got different time zones, you can't do synchronous classes in the same way. And in fact, the way you break down teaching is very different in an online environment. You can't just go into Zoom and expect it's going to be work. There's all sorts of operational challenges with that. So we were very fortunate that we had the Incendi expertise to, to pull on. Because moving to virtual education is much more than just throwing some presentations online. 
it's different, um, particularly in terms of teaching. It's a different way of teaching. And so actually, you almost have to unlearn it. So one of our teachers sort of explained it to me. It's like when you learn to drive, if you've been driving for 15 years, you know, you don't think mirror, signal, maneuver, you just turn left. And that's the same as being in the classroom. When you then move online, you have to go back to thinking mirror, signal, maneuver, because you've got to break it down into constituent parts because you can't do the things that you could do in the classroom. So from a teaching perspective, it's been, you know, challenging. You can't just put a presentation online. It's just not engaging enough. And you can't, you know, videoing lectures even. It's one thing being engaged in a classroom, but actually sitting to watch a half an hour lecture on Zoom, it's not great. It's not very interactive. So what we've tended to do and, you know, all the literature would say you need to break it down into bite-sized chunks. You have a little bit of video. You have a lot of interactivity. You have forums. You have discussions. You can quizzes, you know, a whole range of different ways of engaging because otherwise it's hard to absorb the information in the way that you need to or could potentially do in a classroom where it's inherently much more interactive. Tell me how Ardian supported you through the pandemic. I think it's very easy when you're one step removed on a board or a shareholder to to really kind of feel like you need to step in and, and help management. But in fact, what they were very good at is, look, we can see you're cracking on with this. We're here if you need us. But equally, we're not going to try and kind of interfere or you know, help you along the way. And so that, that's that been great. Do you think that digital will sort of be the business model going forward for study group? I think, well, there will definitely be a, an element of digital. I don't think you can wholly replace the face-to-face experience for some students. I think some students, if you're going to do a postgraduate, you could probably do it all online. But what we know is our students like that kind of, you know, the settling in piece, if you like, the sort of hand-holding. But I do think that blended is going to be definitely part of, of what we do going forward. And we kind of knew that before the pandemic already, which is one of the reasons we made the acquisition. And it's really working through which bit of it we keep and which bits, you know, we move to face to face. But I think what we've learned is we can do so much more online than perhaps we ever anticipated. Even virtually, Study Group has continued to offer much more than just academics. We try and do a lot of social things. And so, I mean, it really ranges, you know, cooking classes, you know, Netflix parties. Um, we have just had, in the UK, we have had a Eurovision song contest. So each of our students, has not each, but many of our students have entered from whichever centre they're in. And it was brilliant because I watched, I watched the final and there was a student who was singing in their bedroom in Peru. There was a student who was in Shanghai and the talent was amazing. I love what we do because it's real. You know, it's adding value to the world. It's not just making widgets. And it comes alive when you see the range of students and you sort of see them in their home countries, in their, back, you know, in their different backgrounds. It was, it was great. And they're very good at participating and really you know, throwing themselves into it. And as I said at the outset, this may not be exactly what they signed up for, but they're going to make the best of it. Looking ahead, Lancaster has high expectations that the international education sector will continue to grow. And that's really because the macro drivers are a growing middle class in our source markets with not enough supply, frankly, of of good universities. And it it takes many years to build a university. 
And so what we are doing is sort of filling that gap, if you like. And I think that what we see is that trend will continue to grow. I think where we have seen variations over the years and, and continue to see it even as we speak is that whilst the demand is there, the supply will vary depending on which destination market. So right now, for example, Australia and New Zealand's borders are closed. It's pretty straightforward then for a student to go, okay, well, I can't go to Australia. So therefore, I'm probably going to go to the UK or the US instead. And so that's where I think we'll see the variation. But I think the overall growth will continue just because of the macro factors. And you've said that the pandemic was, in your view, just a short-term blip, uh, but there's still a desire to study abroad, and what's changing is where. Um, So maybe we could speak a little bit more about where. You mentioned Australia being shut right now, maybe more interest in the UK, is that right? Yeah, so I think, you know, that's the thing that always changes over time, is different approaches to immigration, different approaches to visas. And what we've seen in the UK, particularly with Brexit, is that they are much more recognising that they need international students and that international students can make a massive contribution to the economy. So arguably, Brexit doesn't really impact our business. Very few of our students were European. They're from broadly non-European countries. And that's because actually European students could get access to the UK university system pre-Brexit anyway. Um, So that's not really where our business was. But I think the consequence of Brexit is that the UK government has reassessed their whole immigration policy, out of which has come a recognition that international students make a big contribution to the economy. And that's resulted in them changing the the legislation such that students can come and work for a couple of years afterwards. And, and, And there's been a whole series of improvements that's just made the whole process so much more easy for our international students as well. Um, And it it just makes it, yeah, certainly the UK has certainly become a lot more attractive as a consequence. And how do the current students feel about their futures? Well, what always impresses me is how resilient our students are. Um, You know, those students that want to study abroad, even in normal times, it's a big step. So they have views, they know where they want to go. And actually, that's still the case. May not be exactly the way they wanted it to be. But, you know, they're very pragmatic. Yep, we'll crack on. We'll do this online because it's going to get me to where I want to be. You know, I want to do a degree in medicine at Cardiff. So actually, I'm going to really focus on doing that and I will do the pathway course. And if I have to do it online, I'll do it online. But I know it's going to get me where I want to be. And they're they're very determined young people. Thanks for tuning into Entrepreneurial Journeys, a podcast from Ardian. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, don't hesitate to leave a comment on Apple Podcasts and talk about it with your friends and colleagues. Until next time.